We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. It's Sam Adams. We're constantly improving who we are, what we do, and how we brew. We may craft over 60 styles of beer, but it's Boston Lager that has captured the heart of America since 1984. With its deep amber color, caramel notes, and signature hop character, what better to have in your pint glass? Sam Adams Boston Lager. Pursue better. Boston Beer Company, Boston Mass, State Responsibly. Welcome to the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Derek Van Riper here with Nick Whalen, unsponsored right now. Uh, quick shout out to a few possible sponsors. Uh, Lexus, I don't drive one, but someday I, I hope I will. If, if this whole endeavor takes off, it probably won't. So more likely I will continue to drive mm-hmm. uh, used cars for my entire life. That could be a used Lexus. Could be a used Lexus. That's, that's, that's what I aspire to. Like mm-hmm. I, I bought a new car this weekend. That was the highlight of my weekend, of course. And by highlight, I mean the thing that took the most time 
Uh, very grown up weekend for me. You know, just did uh, basic basic to do list. Really, that's what weekends are for. I guess after you turn thirty, so you got that to look forward to in like ten years when you turn thirty. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, what what happened to you this weekend? You said you got poisoned. I was poisoned. Well, I was actually poisoned last week, not not last weekend. So we were in Las Vegas for the annual RotoWire company trip out there. And as you know, I spent a lot of time in the hot tub. I spent, you know, we had these nice pools at the Aria, great place. I think I probably spent like 10 minutes total uh, throughout the whole week in the actual pool. I think I spent like 10 hours total in the hot tubs at the Aria. And, you know, starting Wednesday morning, the day we left, I was not feeling very well. And I made the the bad mistake of, you know, I couldn't really sleep Wednesday because I wasn't feeling well. And I was like, you know what, I'll just get up early and go sit in the hot tub, which was like a <laughs> terrible, terrible idea. And like, by the time we got back on Thursday, like my breathing was all messed up. My throat was all swelled up. I couldn't swallow very well. I felt nauseous for several days straight. Um, and I started looking into it. And I think I was poisoned. I think I got hot tub poisoning, which is actually a thing. There's a New York Times article about it. If you want to look it up, uh, it's actually chlorine poisoning. So basically I spent too much time in the hot tub and I got sick from it. Um, but then this weekend I got an invite on Friday night to go sit in the hot tub with some friends and I couldn't really say no. So I kind of doubled down, got re-sick for like a day. Um, but now with two, I'm two days clean from the tub as we record on Monday. So I, I think I'm finally getting back to equilibrium. I'm glad you've made a full recovery. Yeah. Too much chlorine seems like <sighs> was, that would be a bad thing. How do lifeguards at indoor pools not get that right? You know, like you would to, think, cause I have a couple of kids on the team that I coach that happen to be lifeguards in the summer. I know one of them works at the high school pool. It's indoors. And I got an email once. It was like, so-and-so is not going to be at practice. He's got to work a 10 hour shift. And I thought about it in like 10 hours at the indoor pool. Like how is he okay? Like, is, is he going to be, is he going to suffer from this hot tub poisoning because it's a Olympic size swimming pool that well, he's breathing in? You know, maybe he's not in the pool. I don't know, but just being in that environment, especially in an indoor pool where all the gases are trapped in there, you would think maybe they get some sort of injection, you know, to kind of like a, a vaccine to combat that. Maybe I should have gotten that before Vegas. High chair know. is a factor. It's the high chair that keeps them safe. The chemicals right. only rise a few feet above the water. Being a lifeguard, is definitely on the list of jobs that seem really cool in theory. But then when you really think about it, it's like, would it really be that fun? You know, sitting there for 10 hours, just kind of spying on kids. You can't really be on your phone. You never see lifeguards on their phone. I'm assuming that's a big no, no. That's probably, a, that's um, probably a no, no. Yeah. Right. Which it shouldn't be. It's like, come on, like you'll see somebody if they're drowning, like you're not gonna be looking at your phone for an hour straight. Well, um, all right. So you, you must be a decent swimmer because you're okay with, uh, you don't want to brag, right? You're okay with your lifeguard playing Pokemon go. I would be if while, while they're sitting up there in the chair under the umbrella. Of course. Yeah. I would just, if it was me, I would think I couldn't sit here for 10 straight hours just looking at these little kids throwing sand at each other. No, well, you get to yell at the kids, which I don't want to do that again. I think once you, you but once you turn 30, you're going to have this instinct to yell at children. Like I, I, you don't want to be a lifeguard if you're over 30. No, no. That would be be something. But there's only one lifeguard over 30 that I've ever encountered, and it's the other lifeguard on the Sandlot. Of course, the the main lifeguard, Wendy Peppercorn. You're shaking your head like... I've never seen the Sandlot. It's not part of the Airbud franchise, so I know you haven't seen it. Airbud Sandlot was not uh, on the list. No, I've never seen the Sandlot. I I think I just missed it. My time is gone. I can't watch it now. It wouldn't be right. You absolutely can watch it now. Who has time for that? You need to watch it. Watch it when you're in the hot tub next time. You, since you're taking three hours at a no time in the hot, in the hot tub, tub. that's only going to take half your hot tub time. So you can take a break from whatever it is you're doing in there for three hours. Watch I did, the have, I did have my phone in the tub, which I thought was a pretty risky move. 
Um, it didn't end up getting wet, although I did jump in accidentally with my watch on my wallet in my pocket and my hat on. Um, the hat took the most damage. The hat got bleached. Yeah, it's badly. Shrunk, so it's shrunk and faded. It's borderline unwearable at this point. I'm kind of hoping you know I can resurrect it somehow, but we'll see. Well, good good luck as uh, you move on for that. But I think we're all really happy that you didn't die from the hot tub chlorine poisoning because that was i was in a rough place on saturday morning i'll tell you that um it's 105 degrees in vegas what were you doing in the hot tub yeah i wish i knew <laughs> i wish i knew i i wasn't really in my control i was, it was just kind of like one of those things where you know i just completely blacked out you know non-alcohol related and it was just it was kind of i was just drawn to the tub it wasn't a choice of mine you know it was empty it's like it's like birds you know in the during the winter months they just know to fly south like i just felt I just had no other choice but to go to the hot tub. Right. You were in the desert, and your natural instinct right. was to jump into the and hottest no one pool of water you could find. Shockingly. So I, we had the entire huge hot tub to ourselves. Yeah. you you and, Did you hallucinate and have a friend there, oh, or no, did someone the, actually join no, you? The Vegas tub boys, Clay, John, uh, DJ for a little bit. I haven't seen any of those guys. Did they get the same thing you did? No, they, they didn't do quite as much time as I did. Oh. Um, but speaking of football, what we're supposed to be talking about, we did meet somebody in Vegas in the tub who – overheard dj and i talking hoops and he said oh you guys are talking basketball do you like football (laughs) uh you think yeah obviously we do and he then went to tell us that he is from somewhere in pennsylvania i don't remember where and he said he chooses the steelers or the eagles each year based on who's going to be better what no not acceptable not acceptable at all which he, means most years he's a Steelers fan because they have been yeah, better that's for, what he said and we're like you can't those are two t- you don't just get to vacillate between those two like no where in what situation is that ever okay in the future America Pennsylvania is probably one of those states that splits in half because Philadelphia and Pittsburgh are far away in the first place and extremely different cities like so there's this because of People growing up in other parts of the country in sports, and they're always in the same division. At least they were like in the old MLB East. Now they're in East and Central for baseball purposes. Uh, the hockey, you know, the Penguins and Flyers are a big rivalry. Uh, if they were in the same conference, Eagles-Steelers would probably be a bigger, bigger rivalry than it is. I, I think because of that, like there's this perception that those two cities are close together, and they're not close. Not at all. At all. Like, Couldn't it, be further apart, really. Pittsburgh is about as far west as it gets yeah i think pittsburgh is a lot closer to cleveland than it is to yeah. to philly it's much closer to cleveland it's closer you know, i'm looking at this basic map here. it's probably about the same distance uh pittsburgh to buffalo as it is pittsburgh to philly yeah so uh, it, you can't just choose between the two you're you're either in one market or the other if you live in the very middle of pennsylvania i don't think there's a whole lot there maybe that's roughly where happy valley is but i i you can't you can't fluctuate you can change I, here's my belief on changing your rooting interest you can change one time in your life you have until you're 21 years old to change that's when you that's when you have to decide there's extenuating circumstances though so if you're a st louis rams fan and they move to la are you allowed to the relocation waiver right are you allowed i mean you can the obvious option is to follow them to la but you know for obvious reasons that can be a little bit difficult you know we saw this with sonics fans there's a lot of sonics fans who just root against okc Uh, but there are also a lot i think there are also a lot of sonics fans who, who stayed with them if you're Living in St. Louis, do you just kind of latch on to the Vikings for a little bit? Do you maybe hook your wagon to the Jaguars, you know, an up-and-coming kind of glitzy team like that? I don't think you can claim the Jags, but I think in that case, the relocation waiver definitely applies. I mean, you can choose any team you want within the scope of like geography. You can choose within 200, 300 miles in any direction. 
I don't know if you need geography. I think what we we'll well, see or, is a lot of people latching on to like the cool new team. You know, I think you mm. know two three years ago you saw a lot of people just become Seattle fans because they came out with those sweet new jerseys. They were you know they had Russell Wilson. They had all these these quote unquote cool players, and there just seemed to be a lot of general Seahawks fans. I think it's for people who don't really have a team in their hometown. That's kind of who you latch onto. Maybe Carolina's that team now. I don't really know. But what about the Chiefs? I mean, you have another team that's basically in your state. Well, yeah, and it's not like the Chiefs and Rams are this long-standing rivalry, right? right. So like, that exactly. would that would be a logical. Like, this is, that was a huge, huge move for the Chiefs, I think. Yeah. So if like, you uh, think of it this way, like if as long as the team that you're going to switch to in the relocation scenario isn't a team that your team was in the same division with, I think it works. So in football, it's easy because across conference, right. even in baseball, across leagues, if if the Kansas City Royals ever moved out of Kansas City. I imagine Royals fans would become Cardinals Oof, fans because it'd be the cross league thing. Though. Well, the Cardinals have their own set of rules, but right, that's the just, Cardinals are an exception. You can't. That's just not a fan base you latch onto without any consequences. I, I think you have to be born into that, right? You know, it's, you have to. You absolutely have to. Like that would be like saying if the Vikings left, they would just go to the Packers, which I don't think would happen. <laughs> well, but they're in the same division, like it, so. It, it's that's the extra wrinkle. Yeah. I mean, if, if yeah, the White true. Sox ever left Chicago and there's only one baseball team, would White Sox fans become Cubs fans? Probably, I probably. I mean, do those teams hate each other that much though? They pretend like they do for yeah. the the BP Cup or whatever they call it, but I don't. I don't yeah, really I don't. see a real uh, rivalry there. But uh, anyway, relocation waiver. What are you doing, Rams fans? If you if you lost your team, what team are you gravitating towards? We're, we're curious. Let us know. He's at Whalen, except the L is a number one. Uh, still sticking with that. I'm at Derek Van Riper on Twitter. Let us know. If you like this podcast, by the way, if you're still listening to this podcast, please leave us a nice review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever platform you happen uh, to be listening to. We're going to talk AFC South because we have our resident uh, Jacksonville Swagwires beat writer, you're, you are the beat writer for the team. I mean, the Rotowire beat writer. Yeah, I don't want to, you know, I'm not well, like an actual beat writer. You're the resident expert. We often lead with the Jags every every Monday. Too often. Well, it's, it, you know, it's it's because of the, it's because of ESPN. Like, you're looking at box scores on ESPN. It reorders the games based on your preference. It puts Jags one, ties everybody else for 32. So then it's just kind of random right. after that based on, like, game start time or some stupid thing mm-hmm. like that. So if you ever wanted to know why we're always leading with the Jags, that's actually a big part of the reason why. Uh, let's start with the Colts, though, because to me, they're the maybe the most fantasy-friendly team in this division, at least potentially. The passing game, I think it gets better this year. I think Andrew Luck does bounce back from a disappointing season. I think the schedule was really tough for him early in, in the year last year. Injuries were a factor. And the two things that to me haven't changed is the running game looks like it's still going to sputter. Frank Gore had a disappointing year last year. I know he's expressed some frustration about not going over a thousand yards last year. I don't really like the young backs they've assembled there. The offensive line might be better, which is good for luck anyway. And maybe that opens up a few more holes for the running game. But I think the defense is still a problem. And that's a good thing for Andrew Luck and for these pass catchers, because I think they're going to have to rely on a volume heavy passing attack each and every week. Yeah, I mean, I think the Colts are going to bounce back just by default. I mean, but this was at the same time, this was still an eight and eight team last year. You know, you hear him talked about as if last year was a total disaster. And by Colt standards, I think it was, you know, for a team that has Andrew Luck at quarterback, uh, eight wins is about as low as it gets. But I mean, he played in seven games last year and and they lost five of those games. So, I mean, I don't think the, the floor is quite as low as maybe people think it is for them. I, I think if Andrew Luck plays, you know, 15, 16 games, this is pretty easily, you know, back to being a, a nine or ten win team for sure, and, and probably higher depending on how 
how good the Texans and the Jags end up being uh, within that division. But at the same time, I, I do question the, the playmakers that they have. I mean, Frank Gore, uh, as much mileage as just about any veteran back in the league, they didn't really do a ton to upgrade the receiving core. Um, you know, they went defense heavy and, and offensive line heavy in the draft. So, you know, you're not bringing in these big time playmakers like we're seeing in Houston and, and even Tennessee with the running backs. So, you know, I think the Colts already are probably the most solid team they're the safest bet in the AFC South. But I don't know if I quite see them, you know, getting back to elite elite status. That said, I think they're still probably the best team in this division by default. Yeah, probably the most likely playoff team, kind of a 1A, 1B with the Texans. Jags and Titans, to me, are both going to be better teams overall than they were a year ago. Uh, but you look at the offensive line changes. Uh, Colts drafted Ryan Kelly out of Alabama. He's a center. LaRaven Clark, a tackle out of Texas Tech. I mean, that's going to help the offense as a whole because keeping Andrew Luck upright has been a problem for this team since they drafted him. The changes to the pass catchers, I mean, really, it's it's addition by subtraction. No Andre Johnson out there getting targets. Unfortunately, he had nothing left in the tank. Uh, the problem for the Colts last year is they didn't really need him in the first place. I mean, they drafted Philip Dorsett, which didn't make a lot of sense. They had uh, Johnson taking away targets from Dante Moncrief, who could be a big breakout player this year. And then they've uh, let Kobe Fleener go. So he's in New Orleans now. So really, it's just the Dwayne Allen show at tight end some questions there of course as to just how good he actually is but certainly the target volume could increase if frank gore were to break down or to struggle is there a running back on this depth chart that you like they signed robert turbin former seahawk josh ferguson maybe is an interesting name kind of at the bottom of the depth chart i mean jordan todman to me is just a a filler maybe a guy that helps on special teams ex-jag so he's got the pedigree that you're looking for in a third or fourth running back character guy uh, but Ferguson, I mean, he's he's made some strong impressions early on, and, and Chuck Pagano saying that he's not just a third down back. I mean, I I don't really know. He's an, to me, he's just a, an extra guy on the depth chart. But a- anybody could emerge if Frank Gore goes down. I don't think they have a clear right. cut. Get this guy as the handcuff, or get this guy as the spec ad. I think it's going to be a matter of who's kind of got the hot hand if and when Gore mm-hmm. uh, falls apart. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say he's you know for sure going to fall apart at some point, but he's. 33 years old and again the mileage is getting up there and you know I don't think there's one guy that stands out to me on this roster I think Todman and Turbin are kind of a wash you know it could just be an opportunity situation but Ferguson has to be the wild card I mean just the guy we really don't know anything about at this point and you know I don't know exactly what skill set he brings but you know there's probably there's several backs you can look at every year you know did anyone really know about who Thomas Rawls was at the beginning of last season you know well we'll see what he is. I think they're going to need another back, whether Frank Gore gets hurt or not. He's not going to carry the ball every time. So, you know, it was maybe a little bit surprising with, with some of the names that were on the market um, that they didn't go and grab someone a little bit more established behind Frank Gore. Um, I mean, I think even, you know, t- we're going to talk about the Jags a little bit, grabbing Chris Ivory for $6 million, You know, that, that seems like, you know, the Colts would have been a good fit for him as well. And, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to make a case for Chris Ivory, I suppose. But, yeah, the lack of depth behind Gore, I think, is concerning. The lack of proven depth, maybe more so. So we mentioned the Colts, Texans, maybe being a cut above the the Jags and Titans, at least right now. But this is a division that I think is is kind of wide open. You look at the Texans, a lot of changes offensively. You now have Brock Osweiler taking over as the starting quarterback. Some serious questions as to what exactly he brings to the table after a partial season as the starter in Denver. Of course, the Broncos defense was so good last year that it didn't even matter what they were getting from their quarterbacks but it's Osweiler under center Lamar Miller big free agent signing from the Dolphins the volume he's going to get I think could be significant I mean it could be a big bump from where he was during the last couple seasons in Miami 
behind DeAndre Hopkins. They draft Will Fuller out of Notre Dame. Cecil Shorts returns. Uh, Jalen Strong is a player that I don't know why they didn't use him more last year. So he's a holdover that could be better this year, but kind of shaky as to just how many targets he's going to get. Braxton Miller's in the fold. We'll see if he emerges to take on a prominent role at any point early in the season as a receiver, but might be a guy that uh, is kind of a toss-up even to make the roster at this point. Uh, the roster. You think? Braxton Miller? For sure. He's a third-round pick. He'll make the roster. He should make the roster. Make but the roster. I, I am a little bit concerned about him. I think he he peaked in week one of the college football season, and that was that was kind of the issue. I don't know. I mean, I, to me, he doesn't, you know, he's always raved as this, you know, elite, elite athlete type of guy. And I just, I don't know. He didn't, he didn't seem at least on paper, you know, I, I know the, the measurements are good and the, the timing was all good at the combine, but he doesn't, you know, I, he's talking the same context as like a Re- Reggie Bush type of guy. And to me, those two are not on the same plane athletically. doesn't seem like they are. I mean, no. I guess with the I think he's, he's deceptively fast, I guess, but I still think he makes the roster. I mean, he and strong probably compete for that third receiver spot. So Keith Mumphrey might be on the bubble more so than, than Braxton sure. Miller. I mean, sure. Miller just has... The, and the name value counts for something. Whether it's right or wrong, it does. Well, in, in the investment of a third-round pick this year versus like a fifth-round pick last year, that, that's a big factor. Even if they saw Miller and were like, well, this guy's not even close to being ready, it's more of a project for future sure. years if they're buying into the athleticism. Yeah, and they're deep enough that they don't need Braxton Miller to be on the field every down. Right. So Will Fuller's kind of interesting because he's kind of a, a complimentary player to Hopkins in that... Just more of a speed guy, probably going to play a lot out of the slot. I mean, I, I could see him maybe running some routes on the outside, some deep routes. Can Brock Osweiler take advantage of a speedy option on the outside, or is he going to be more of a short and intermediate range passing game quarterback that, that kind of limits the value of the passing game as a whole? I, I could just see the Texans being a team that play good defense again, uh, one that comes out and, and runs the ball effectively with Miller taking over in their backfield. I mean, when Arian Foster was healthy, they were a very balanced, even a run first sort of team, it seemed in recent years. So I look at them as a team where the passing game could actually take a step back, not because of Osweiler, but because of more consistency at the running back position with Miller. I could see that. I, mean, I think Osweiler, whether or not he plays well, is going to be an upgrade by default at quarterback. So I guess it's hard for me to see, you know, with the addition of will fuller and the addition of braxton miller to go along with deandre hopkins it's hard for me to see that offense taking a step back or that passing offense taking a step back just because of you know the number maybe deandre hopkins numbers drop a little bit just because there's more capable options around him i mean he's not going to be fed 15 targets every single game anymore um but i, I think you know i think it, it kind of rounds out now with lamar miller kind of stepping into that arian foster role um yeah i think he's an upgrade from a health perspective but when arian foster is healthy i think he's probably the better player than lamar miller I think it's tough because at this point in his career, you just don't know like if Arian Foster has a lot left in the tank. And because he was playing a partial season a year ago, I mean, like, how is he going to hold up in the second half? He only played four games. Like That was going to be a big question for me as far as his overall effectiveness. But yeah, at, at his peak, I mean, Arian Foster, a very good NFL running back, and it's just been a slew of injuries that have derailed him over the course of his career. But you look at the passing game last year. 6.6 yards per attempt, combination of Brian Hoyer, Ryan Mallett, Brandon Whedon, TJ Yates. Shout out TJ Yates. That's the bar. Like, that's the bar Brock yeah, Osweiler I mean, and has Osweiler is at, you know, 7.2 yards per attempt, which isn't great. I mean, if you if you rank that among the, the quarterbacks in the NFL, that's in the low 20s, you know, right, out, right on par with Ryan Tannehill, Eli Manning. I mean, I think he's a competent 
deep ball thrower. I don't I don't think this is going to be a Peyton Manning situation where it's you know 15 yards is the absolute max this guy can throw the ball. I mean, certainly that's not going to be the case. So, you know, I, I don't he's not a great deep ball thrower, but I also don't think they drafted a guy like Will Fuller, the fastest receiver in the draft. I mean, that that's what he does basically is is get by guys on the outside and, and try to hit those home runs. So I think they have a nice complement of you know an athletic slot guy in Miller um you know a young another kind of athletic slot type of player in Jalen Strong the all-around possession receiver in Hopkins and then the speed guy uh in Will Fuller yeah a team that's definitely made some big improvements we'll see how quickly it comes together for Houston uh their draft you know mostly just pieces that kind of complement different parts of the roster we mentioned Braxton Miller uh, Nick Martin a guard out of Notre Dame certainly helps everybody as an offensive lineman let's move on to the Jags uh you mentioned Chris Ivory and that was one of their big gets and I think that maybe offsets the loss of Toby Gerhardt, but as the Jags insider, do you think Ivory can bring as much heart to the table as Toby Gerhardt does each and every day? You took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah, I think Chris Ivory is probably the better running back. I mean, you, you can find data to, to maybe go back and forth on that, but the intangibles, you know, I mean, is he going to bring that kind of heart? Is he going to bring, you know, I, I hate to use this cliche, but that, that lunch pill mentality and that's really what toby gerhardt um you know kind of brought to this jags team he didn't bring a whole lot on the field but i think his contributions off the field uh were invaluable so we'll see if chris ivory can replace that i mean this is a guy who was fifth in the league in rushing last season kind of sat on the free agency wire for a little bit and the jags were able to snap him up for three million a year which to me is just an unbelievable deal i mean i know he's a little bit older and he had he had a ton of mileage last season but if you can get him for that cheap i think that was a no-brainer addition for the jags the only thing that does make you question it is you have TJ Yeldon, a guy who might have been right around a thousand yards had he not been hurt, only got in the end zone, I believe, twice last season. But, you know, I think he showed enough that you, you're certainly not ready to give up on him or just push him off to the side. So, you know, I, I like the idea of a two back split. We'll see how even the carries load is. From a fantasy perspective, it is a little bit scary. It might take a few weeks to figure out just how this ends up shaking out. Probably not a backfield I'll have a lot of shares of when it's all said and done, just because of that uncertainty. At your own peril. Well, they've, they've invested enough in Yeldon where I, I do think they're going to utilize him, and that's going to be sure. enough to kind of remove the high volume potential that Ivory would have, at least on a per game basis. Right. Injury has been a problem for him. Well, where are you going in the you know mid round? You know, as an RB two, do you have one that you favor over the other? For me, it's Ivory, just because I think he's getting the goal line carries. I like Ivory more more than TJ Yeldon, but I am trying to the best of my ability to not have that be my RB three decision that I have to make every mm-hmm. week. I don't want to have to use one of those two guys in that spot. I mean, you look at their their price in terms of ADP right now. Chris Ivory is going about one ten overall in the NFFC. Uh, some names around him, especially if you're getting PPR. I mean, that that hurts Ivory quite a bit. Uh, Theo Riddick, Charles Sims, going to catch a lot more passes. I think their roles are pretty stable. I think they're similar in value. Sims, to me, is more upside because if Doug Martin were to get hurt, he could be a really useful every-down sort of player. I like Rashad Jennings more right now. It sounds like the Giants are going to consolidate their backfield a bit, so I would take him over Ivory, and he's going about 15 picks later. I think even Justin Forsett, like to begin the season at least, I like him as a guy that will catch a lot of passes in Mark Trestman's offense, and we just don't know if Kenneth Dixon can pass protect yet. I like Kenneth Dixon as a prospect. He's, he was a great DFS college player during his time at Louisiana Tech, but as we've seen with running backs, it's not just plug and play. It's, it's easier to make the transition at running back than it is at receiver, tight end, and quarterback, but it's not just 
give him the job because he's the better runner of the two. He has to be able to protect Joe Flacco to get that opportunity. So uh, Forsett, Jennings, maybe Derrick Henry, probably not Derrick Henry. At least a couple of guys going after him right now uh, are more interesting for me in most leagues. So the price isn't bad on Ivory. It's weird that Yeldon has the higher ADP. I assume that's going to flip between now and the start of the season. It's, it's, it's so hard to say because, I mean, that going back to what I said, that is kind of the odd part of this move is yeah to me it just seemed like a talent grab it was like you know we we almost don't want ivory going to someone else we'll just take him you know he's talented he's cheap we'll just take him but it does kind of interfere with that development of yeldon and i think you know i've from what i've read and then you know coming out of you know otas and whatnot it sounds like ivory is expected to be the you know technically the number one back with something like a maybe you know 55 45 60 40 type of carry split in his favor so you know, he's only on a two-year deal. I don't know. Maybe they see this as a way to kind of preserve Yeldon in the early years of his career, but it is going to make for a bit of a messy fantasy situation. Um, Blake Bortles, 35 touchdowns last season, tied for second in the league. Does he get to 35 again? I'll take the under on the 35. I, th- I think the the defense is going to be better, right? I mean, you, you add Jalen Ramsey, you, you add Miles Jack, you get Dante Fowler back. I mean, that, those those additions, because they didn't get anything from Fowler last year, right? He got hurt. Uh, first day of camp, I think it was. Or? He was hurt six days after the draft. So yeah, first uh, day, first, of rookie, first workout, first workout of it was like the first minute of the first workout of the first day of rookie mini camp. Brutal, so it was awful. With all three of those guys added to the defense, you have to think defensively they're going to be less shootout prone. With that, they're going to probably throw it less by necessity. If Ivory gives them a little more in the running game than they had last year, which I think we both kind of expect him to. That takes away some attempts as well. So I think the the volume is probably closer to like 525 in terms of attempts, maybe like 540 for Blake Bortles. He could get better other ways. I mean, the completion percentage could go up. The YPA could go up. But even still, I, I would scale the TDs back to like 26 or 27, uh, which probably, you know, how, how, do you, how do you distribute those among the receivers? Do you take them away from Alan Hearns? Do you take a couple away from Alan Robinson? How do you project the pass catchers as a whole because it's a good group i mean he's got good weapons to throw to it's just a matter of the the look of the offense being a bit different than it was a year ago yeah that's the thing i think you hit it right on the head you know in saying that they're not going to be playing from behind as much as they were i'd like to see a split and i should try to find this on on football reference of you know first half versus second half production or even like you know last five minutes of blowout game production because it, it, the Jags started throwing deep quite a bit as teams tend to uh, when they're down and that led to the high interception rate as well uh, for Blake Bortles but I think you got to take him away from Allen Robinson unfortunately and it pains me to say this I, I mean I mean he's been going as high as I think I think fourth overall in some drafts and I mean believe me I, I love Allen Robinson he's probably the best individual player that the Jaguars have had in close to a decade um, but I think you got to buy low on or sell high on him I should say uh, this year I think you can you know if you're choosing between him and a guy like DeAndre Hopkins or Julio Jones and I mean that's in the, the tier that he's in right now I, I think I would have to go with either of those other two guys um, we've really only had one year of elite production from Robinson and and so much of his production last year came on you know on long passes 31 receptions of at least 20 yards that was the most uh, in the NFL by six catch margin which is huge um, you know, it's hard to see that happening again. He's a great one-on-one, you know, go up and get it type of receiver, but 
you know, he seemed to come out disproportionately on, on the receiving end of those plays last season. I think that's going to regress to the mean a little bit. Um, so I think Hearns is, Hearns is a safer option. Um, you know, you're, obviously you're going to get him later in drafts. And I, I think relative to his draft position, he's a safer option. Um, Robinson's still clearly the number one receiver for this team. But I mean, this is a guy who, if you're looking at him compared to Julio Jones, 80 catches for Allen Robinson last season, 136 catches for Julio Jones. I mean, that, that's a 50-plus catch difference that that you're giving up there if you're taking Robinson over him yeah I'm knocking two to three TDs away from Robinson I think 11 to 12 is a reasonable projection for him I think Hearns goes from like 10 to 6 well just the and a lot of his a lot of his production came around the goal line too and you know whether they were able to complete it to him or not I mean the Jags didn't have a goal line back when we saw Toby Gerhardt get stuffed on four straight downs uh, at one point at the goal line that was the the low point of a series of low points in the Jaguars 2015 season I like like how at first you thought that was the the absolute low point and then quickly the other moments throughout the season that were almost as bad or worse that, all kind of will be flooded as as right one. back into your memory the to- the the series is what it's called now uh the toby gerhardt series well nothing will ever top that i don't think um and well maybe the the concussed uh receiver blocking his own who was it? i think it was their i want to say it was their fullback whose name escapes me there was, oh, a, was like yeah. a punt return he blocked his own guy to spring a long return uh in, in classic jags fashion um but yeah i, I think that just having chris ivory around you know, having a back that can that can bully guys inside the five yard line, inside the ten yard line, is going to take away those situations that the Jags were in last year, where it's third and goal from the four. You know, and you don't you don't have the type of running back um, that can just pound that in for you. So I know you're looking ahead to Week One because you're going to be at this game. It's I am. Uh, Jags Packers in Duval, correct? First ever trip uh, to Duval for me. Yeah, I've, I've been to Florida. I've never quite made it to to the lord city jacksonville florida the packers are minus four i am shocked that, that, that line was more. as high as six and a half when it opened and it's down to four vegas knows something that, that's where the money is going people are wrongly assuming that the jags are going to be able to pick apart the green bay defense i mean well, I, I love that it's minus four right now i'm all over the packers in that one um so no on a scale of one to ten I'm, I'm at about a two in terms of nervousness Okay. Where, I mean, where are you at okay. if you're a Packer fan? Like 11? Um, yeah, like, I mean, realistically, like a seven. I don't know. I mean, the week one against a team that, you know, is going to is fairly unfamiliar to you with all these additions. I don't know. I mean, I think there are, there are worse uh, matchups in week one if you're Green Bay, but there are certainly several more. I mean, you don't, you don't just go into Duval week one. Packers aren't used to this kind of weather and get a win. They're not used to uh, going into a place like Jacksonville as opposed to like San Francisco or Seattle. They've been opening with the NFC West these yeah, last take, couple years. They'll probably take them too lightly. That's exactly what the Jags are banking on. I'm going to say 34-20 pack. 34? Yeah, right, get, write that down. Okay. Put, well, that, we'll, put that one we'll keep, in the We'll keep that in mind. This is an improved defense, though. I mean, Malik Jackson, they added from Denver. Deshaun Gibson. Finally, that, that's basically what they needed. The safety position, I mean, the defense has been bad. It's been very bad. Um, but the safety position, they've been playing Jonathan Cyprian kind of out of out of his element and coverage. He's going to be up toward the line now. They're they're supposedly going to run more of a Seattle type of defense with a one, you know, Gibson as the one deep safety uh, with with, uh, with Cyprian playing up in that Cam Chancellor kind of closer to the line type of role. You know, obviously Gus Bradley's a, a Seattle descendant, so I think he finally now in what is this year four, year four, year five for him, he finally has the personnel he needs. So. There are really no more excuses. If, if Jacksonville goes 5-11 and 11 again, I think Bradley's gone, and there's really no question about it. Is he the second longest tenured coach in franchise history behind uh, Coughlin? 
He's got to be, right? It's got to be. It well, has to be. Del Rio was there for a decent amount of time. The Del Rio era, I think, was one of those things you look Jack back at it and you're like, oh, that was only three years or four mm-hmm. years. I, I think I think Gus Bradley's about to pass. So if you're Jack curious, by the way, the last note on the Jags, we'll, we'll keep this fairly short. Um, matchup history between the Jaguars and the Packers. Packers lead the all-time series, you know, one of the all-time storied rivalries in sports, 3-2. Three 3-2? To 3-2. Two. Three two. Three two. Wow. Um, they won the first ever matchup in 1995 that was i believe the first year the jaguars were a franchise uh that was a 24 to 14 loss for the good guys uh the jags then lost again in 2001 uh, and then won two straight though they went into lambeau field in 2004 i was at that game that was the donovan darius almost killing robert ferguson game wow that was that Um, game that was the first game that i've ever had grown men shout very very severe obscenities at me i would have been 12 years old yeah that's, wearing that's appropriate a, wearing a mark brunell jersey into lambeau field um jags won again in 2008 no surprise there and then in 2012 uh, the packers took care of business uh, again back at lambeau no no surprise in 2008 that the yeah. jags uh, upended the packers no the packer fans generally very friendly uh but if you are wearing anything oh. that suggests that you are rooting for, rooting for the other team things flip in a hurry it like, doesn't matter who you are you could be a baby you could be <laughs> <laughs> You could be any, like, anything, you know, there's, a, like, a, a long list of, like, you know, people you shouldn't insult, which generally includes almost everyone, you know, but, like, it, it's worse if you're, like, insulting, you know, a, a woman, in my opinion, or a 12-year-old child, uh, but no, people just didn't care. Um, I mean, in my defense, or in their defense, I should say, you know, I was probably the only person in the stadium who was trying to resist the kick him out chance, uh, and Darius did get kicked out, so they got what they wanted. I don't know why they had to take it out on me. I, we'll never know. I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure alcohol was a factor. Alcohol may have been a factor. Al- yes. Alcohol is always a factor. At, at, Lambeau. at Lambeau Field, it's guaranteed to be a factor at all times. Yeah. My advice is, if you are a fan of the visiting team, just wear Packer stuff, and well, maybe at the end, that at the end of the game, then just get kind of boisterous. Then, but to avoid having someone like threaten to like throw you into a dumpster or to uh, avoid threats of being urinated on by a Packer mm-hmm. fan. Maybe just try to blend in for the yep. first few quarters. Yeah, um, I mean, you gotta, you kind of have to throw your fandom out the out the window at that point if you want to survive, but there are worse places to be. I'm looking at the box score from this game, the 0-4 game, by the way. Just name after name. Najee Davenport, two carries for one yard. There's part of the problem. LeBrandon Tofield yeah. had a carry in this game. Antonio Chapman caught a touchdown in this game. Mm-hmm. It's good. Thanks. It's good. It's good. Good box score. Mm-hmm. Uh, closing the book on the AFC South, talking Titans. Marcus Mariota should be a year improved. I mean, young quarterbacks we saw last year. Mariota and Jameis Winston were both good. Winston was really good. We'll talk about that in just a little while. Uh, but you look at the wide receiving core. It, it's it's not it's not great, but that's part of what makes Delaney Walker so appealing. If you're looking to save a little bit off the very high end tight ends, you're not going to pay up for Gronk in your draft or your auction. Uh, maybe you're worried about Jordan Reed's injury history, which you should be. Mario and I have talked about that a lot over the last few weeks. But you look at the Titans and Doriel Green Beckham. I mean, he's one of those players that you can see the talent, but you just don't know if the volume's going to be there. Kendall Wright should be decent, at least for PPR leagues, as a third or a fourth option in deeper full-point PPR leagues. Rashard Matthews is kind of the wild card for me. I don't know what they're going to get out of him. Clearly, they saw something they liked in what he was doing in Miami. 10.9 yards per target a year ago, only 61 targets, of course. How much that number holds up with more volume, 
It's a big question nonetheless. But the running game will be completely different. DeMarco Murray acquired from the Eagles. Derrick Henry drafted out of Alabama. And with Mariota, if he's running a little bit more and health was a factor, had that knee injury last year, that should open up a lot of lanes on the inside for both Murray and Henry. If the Titans' defense can be just even average, this is one of those teams that could be quite a bit improved from where it was a year ago. Yeah, I think so. I, I think you know it, the the struggles of the team um, kind of underscored how good Mariota was for most of the year. And like you said, the same can be said about Jameis Winston as well. I think both of these guys probably outperformed at least what I expected uh, in year one. I think the Titans are still the clear number four in this division. Um, you know, I, I don't think the gap between them in Jacksonville or even them in Houston, depending on what happens with the QB position there, is that huge. Um, I mean, it wouldn't be a shock if they, if they, if Mariota, you know, showed drastic improvement and they're an eight win team, but I mean, that's probably their ceiling, right? I, I don't think they can get above 500. Yeah. I think eight and eight would be everything going pretty well for this team this year, but they've made some additions. Jack Conklin added to the offensive line, uh, Kevin Dodd, Austin Johnson, both added to the defense. So could be a, a unit that on the other side of the ball, especially keeps them in games more often and lets that running game sort of do its thing. Uh, in a two quarterback league, especially, I do like the idea of getting Mariota as the second option. If you're going to mix and match every week in a traditional one quarterback league, I think he's viable in 12 teamers, but you're going to have to be a little bit careful, choose your spots. Uh, hopefully find some, some games where the Titans will either be throwing a lot in the second half or at least uh, in a shootout where they can kind of keep the pace with the opposing defense. But this is a team that, you know, DeMarco Murray is going to be the player that is the most interesting on draft day because the price is quite a bit lower than it was last year. Of course, last season, the Eagles had trouble on the offensive line. It seemed like Chip Kelly's scheme didn't really work with Murray. He wasn't running north and south as much as he probably should have been. I think the Titans are going to go back to using him the way the Cowboys did in 2014 and the years prior. But the question is, how good is their offensive line by comparison? And, and can Murray, can he be a guy that gets you 4.4, 4.5 yards per carry again? Because if that's the case, the volume should be there, even with Henry in the same backfield. That's the bigger question to me, though. It's not, not the fit for DeMarco Murray. I don't think it can get any worse than it was last season, right? I mean, he, and he was still productive in flashes last year. You know, if you, if you started him the first five weeks of the year, you probably fell behind in your league and, and had to claw back. But the Henry thing to me, is, is almost more concerning. I mean, yeah, he comes in as a second round pick, you know, he's not, you know, Ezekiel Elliott where, you know, he's kind of entitled to carries based on where he was taken. But to me, these guys kind of overlap in terms of skill set, in terms of how they run, you know, it's, I don't see this as necessarily a, you know, a thunder and lightning, uh, Ron Dane, Tiki Barber, uh, type of situation because I mean, they're, they're just so similar to me. You know, I, I don't see, I mean, obviously they're both going to play, but you know, situationally, I don't know if there's one spot where you say, oh, this is where Henry should be in the game or this is where Murray should be in the game. To me, they're just they're very similar players. And I don't know how that's going to affect the workload. I think they're more like what we saw in Carolina a few years ago. D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart. You didn't really have sure. a traditional speed third down right, back. Right. You had two guys that could do similar things. They worked in tandem pretty effectively. Yeah. So I could see Henry getting 800, 850 yards. I could see Murray getting like 1200 or so. And probably the, the TD split's going to be I mean, you got to go Henry around the goal line, right? I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think Murray's a bad short yardage oh, runner. No, he's though, not. So. I mean, Henry is impossible to take down. So I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if Henry would vulture carries from, from, uh, from DeMarco Murray in right. close, but I could see it being a case where if it's a Henry series, he just stays in at the goal line, right? Where it's right. not, 
it's not so much role specific. It's more just two series to Murray, one to Henry. And if the carries, if, if they run it 35 times in a game, the splits like 21, 14 carries favoring Murray. They both catch a few passes. And yeah. I, I think with Murray, he's the better pass catcher of the two. We didn't see Henry do a lot of that at Bama. I don't know if that's by scheme design, maybe it's because of Kenyon Drake being yeah. there. We'll see if that becomes part of his game. But I think that's where the separation and volume is going to occur. It's probably more on third down. Yeah, it's so it's so tough to judge Alabama backs and Alabama players in general just because of the overall talent on that roster. Like most teams don't have the luxury of Kenyon Drake, you know, just coming just coming off your bench to to catch passes and and run for forty yards every time he catches one. But you know, I, I do wonder. Henry doesn't have a lot of shotgun experience, and then obviously Mariota has kind of shifted more under center after playing almost exclusively out of shotgun at Oregon, but. I think Murray, you know, played out of the shotgun a ton in Philadelphia last year. So if you have formations where Mariota is more comfortable shotgun to single back, you know, maybe that's where Murray plays. I, I just see him as the guy, you know, who's getting, you know, is this going to be like a 60 40 type of split where Murray's your guy, you know, say he, you know, you break off a long run and it's, you know, first and 10 from the 11 yard line. That to me is Derrick Henry territory where you maybe give him a shot to break a tackle and try to get it in. I mean, I think this is the the best way for the Titans to control a game is to just use both of them. Like that's that's their best chance of being that eight and eight team mm-hmm. that we talked about. And that's even with Mariota improving. I think there are still some limiting factors as far as the wide receiver core goes. Let's shift the focus over to the NFC South. Uh, Carolina going for their fourth straight division title. Is that true? I read it somewhere. Must be true. Must be true. It, especially if it was the New York Times. It has to be true. Well, what do, you, what do you have against the New York Times? That's a very reputable publication. Nothing, but they're, they, they make Man, mistakes. New York Times? No, they do. Well, my, my rivalries, as you know, I mean, Rachel Nichols is a rivalry that it happened for a while. Friendly rivalry. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's fine now. It's, we've, we've buried the hatchet. But uh, the New York Times, you know, on again, off again. With Who are your like, top three personal rivalries? They can, be, they can be businesses. They can be people. They can be animals. They can be just like things. Uh, Phil Woodman. Oh, runs hey. some runs a local I've grocery store. Company. Yeah, I'm sure. My I'm mom sure. called me one time to told me to tell me that she met him. He's a celebrity in the in the Green Bay area. He sold me bad yogurt he this weekend. The so. worst commercials of all time. You've seen those, right? Yeah, and because okay. of his bad commercials, I'm going to bring the yogurt back. Well, yogurt's not one of the things you want to mess around with. No, that can get you sick. You do not want your it's like a hot tub. You do not want lumpy yogurt. I've never ever. had yogurt in my entire life, and never intend to. Well, you you've, you've lived your life um, in a, a very meaningful sort of way, so I'm not surprised that you're avoiding yogurt. But as the Panthers go, uh, the rest of my rivalries, I said Phil Woodman, uh, squirrels, squirrels, that's a, good a, one. a company. Like, uh, do I have a certain company other than? other than Woodman's that I, yeah. I, mean, I, shop I mean, is Woodman's, it just so. Phil Woodman, the founder of Woodman's or is it all Woodman's? No, just Phil. Cause I actually buy he personally give you the yogurt. I just hate his commercials. Okay. No, that's fair. That's fair. I don't know if I have a third rival at the present time. Oh, like any, any cable company charter time Warner, those companies are the worst. I will stand with the defense of charter. I I've heard a lot of people have had problems with them. I've personally been treated well by charter. Uh, I've gotten free HBO for some reason for like the last four years without asking for it. Well, that just, ended. I think it's just a mistake. You just yeah. bragged about it. So that's, well, that's going to get turned off. Yeah, so it is what it is. Good job. Um, oh, by the way, going back to, I'll get back to my rivalries in a sec, but I, I finally found the Jaguars winning versus trailing stats. Um, <laughs> Blake Bortles only attempted 59 passes while the Jaguars were winning last year. Yeah, there you go. Is, so, is that lowest in the league? It's got to be. I don't know. 29 of his 35 touchdowns came while the Jaguars were trailing. <laughs> that, that's just obscene. 
Yeah, and again, they didn't have an option in close that could run effectively. To but it. much higher passer rating, 18 points higher when trailing. Plays better from behind. Just wants to He's not a front it. runner. If there's one thing you can say about this Jags team, they're not front runners. No, they they most they certainly, certainly are not. Are not. As Carolina goes, Kelvin Benjamin comes back from the torn ACL. Big addition to get him back in that receiving core. They didn't do a lot to improve this group of pass catchers. Otherwise, uh, running back looks very similar. Devin Johnson, kind of an interesting rookie. If he makes the team, he could emerge to be someone that has some value should Jonathan Stewart succumb to injury. Foot injury already on the on the slate for Stewart. who said problems with his Achilles, problems with his feet in the past. So you have to keep a close eye on that as the season gets closer. Uh, but is it more of the same? from Carolina and perhaps without Josh Norman, do they become even more shootout prone as a result of not having their best shutdown corner? Yeah, it was, it was odd the way that they, they kind of closed the year with a couple of those games. Green Bay was one of them. Um, there were a few more down the stretch where, you know, they allowed a ton of points either at the beginning of the game or at the end of the game and, you know, either let a team back in or had to come back. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they were so, so dominant through that first half of the year and then they started, started to show a few cracks uh, toward the end of the year obviously still made it to the Super Bowl without much of a problem but even that Seattle game in the NFC title I mean that's another one where was it 30 to 3 at halftime yeah and, that game was and, wild and it became it became uh, you know an actual game by the by the end of the end of the fourth quarter so you know losing Norman Hurts but at the same time that was the right move to me not paying up for a guy who you know is less than three years younger than Darrell Revis you know a guy who seems like he's been around forever I mean Norman the way that he he ascended you know you, you kind of assume that he was like a rookie or a second year guy hadn't heard anything about him he's 28 years old so you know it's tough to see a you know Cam Newton's the face of this franchise but Norman I think you know along with Luke Keekley kind of emerged as the face of this defense last year and it, it was certainly a tough decision to let him go but I think in the long run it was the right move I mean this isn't a team that's necessarily built to only contend for a year or two you know they're not just going all in for next year I mean they have the pieces the young the young core for this team you know could carry them for a while here I mean Cam Newton's still young Luke Keekley's still young Calvin Benjamin uh, just in entering his third year um, so I think that was the right move overall but they did kind of avoid the attrition that good teams often face. You know, we look at Denver, you know, losing so much from that team as, as always happened. Seattle went through the same thing after their run, you know, guys start to get picked off, uh, you know, big contracts in other cities. They avoided that for the most part. I mean, the offense returns pretty much completely intact. Uh, you get Calvin Benjamin back. Like you mentioned, I, I think they still could have stood to add maybe one decent receiver, you know, like a Richard Matthews type, you know, not sure if he's the exact guy, but somebody like that, a Muhammad Sanu, you know, just to kind of solidify this core. But they're clearly counting on on a lot from Benjamin. They're counting on a lot from Devin Funches. Um, but, you know, the fact that this team was able to do what they did last year with a couple of injuries to guys like Stewart, uh, obviously the injury to Benjamin and having Philly Brown and, and Ted Ginn as your top two receivers. To me, uh, I think getting Calvin Benjamin back alone is enough for me to think that Carolina doesn't really take much of a step back. Yeah, I wonder where the volume comes from for Kelvin Benjamin. Greg Olson maybe loses a little bit of it, but still very stable as a top five sort of yeah, tight end. Yeah, I mean, Olsen who's, is who I think I'm most concerned about. I think he'll be really, really good, but he's just not going to get that volume uh, again this year. Do you think, I mean, Ted Ginn and Philly Brown combined, how many targets do you think those two guys had together? Last year? Yeah. Is what 150 155 yeah, at 151 Ooh. so if you give you can't give all of that to benjamin they had jericho cotry oh, last year <laughs> 54 targets went to jericho cotry he's gone yeah huh, so there's loss. there's I forgot about that there's 54 off top that go to kelvin benjamin if mm-hmm. you take away most of ted ginn's workload which uh, you can throw some deep passes to him here and there is he the best pass dropper 
in the NFL. He's an elite pass dropper, but to drop passes, you have to get open right. a lot of times. So he, he's, he's very getting good open at getting a lot. open, very bad at converting open passes. He needs to get the stick him on the gloves, he does. I think. He really does. Uh, Cam Newton, 10 carries inside the five, eight touchdowns. I mean, that's it, the, by far the highest conversion percentage among not just quarterbacks, running backs, fullbacks, anybody. Yes. Is, is, is he capable of, of maintaining what he's been doing as a runner? Do you, do you bank on that being, I hope he is. I, I stable. We see guys like this, um, you know, and there obviously there haven't been that many quarterbacks over the years that can run to the level of Cam Newton, but you always, you always hear like, well, how many, how many more years can they keep doing this? Like what makes Carolina so good is that threat to run. And they already scaled it back. I thought last year compared to, you know, where Newton was at two, three years ago, as far as a number of carries, um, you know, I mean, they're not going to maybe run as many designed runs when they're in the middle of the field. But when you have a guy who's arguably the best overall quarterback in the league and who's probably hands down the best inside the five yard line option, uh, you know, running back or quarterback, I think you got to keep going with that. I mean, this is a, how many times that we see him just kind of come out of the shotgun, you know, on a, in a third and third and three at the goal line or, you know, third and goal from the three situation and just find a way to get it in there. So I don't think they necessarily move away from that. Um, but I think they do kind of have to find a way to, to keep preserving him. 132 carries last year in total, 4.8 yards per carry for Cam Newton, better per carry numbers than Jonathan Stewart, of course, 10 to 6 in terms of rushing TDs. Part of the reason Jonathan Stewart is cheap, aside from the injury history, is that in close, Cam calls his own number on a regular basis. But as long as it's working, I think you got to keep doing it. He's not really a running quarterback, is he? I mean, he doesn't, you don't really see him do. uh, I I got caught up watching Michael Vick Falcons highlights this weekend. That's. I mean, nobody does. How did you. Why? Why were you watching those? Somebody, somebody shared like a video on Twitter, like ultimate Michael Vick highlight reel. And it's like, uh, yeah, I'm clicking that. I'm not going to not watch this. And it was just like seven straight minutes. I mean, you almost forget. I mean, this was 10 plus years ago, 12 years ago already when he was kind of at his peak. Like, Michael Vick was unbelievable in the open field. Yeah, the, the like, agility was remarkable. In the NFL, too. I mean, he's running by the elite of the elite. Just the, the, the second gear, I think, that he had. Like, you didn't even see no running back even had that. I mean, Newton has a lot of agility, right. a lot of speed. He's just huge. Yeah. So well, that, that's part like, of it, too. He's not escaping the pocket and, you know, getting 40 yards downfield like like a guy like Vic was. He's I mean, he's more he's he's more of a hammer type of right. type of runner. So I don't know. I'm not too con- I'm not too concerned about that workload, although he does take a lot of big hits. That's the thing. That could be the thing. I mean, imagine if Cam Newton were right. to suffer a significant injury, this team would right. crumble. Mo- most teams with the loss of their starting exactly. quarterback yeah. would fall apart. But it's it's a liability, though. I mean, it's it's part of the reason Carolina is so good is because they use Newton like that, yeah. and it, it's just kind of a, a risk reward. So, looking at the the Falcons, this is a team that I, I was kind of disappointed by as far as their offseason changes. I thought they should have done a little more than get Mohamed Sanu to replace Roddy White because I, I just think the the twenty fifteen version of Roddy White definitely fell short of my expectations i knew there'd be some kind of regression but nothing close to what actually happened uh, i thought they would have gone after maybe like a marvin jones instead of sanu because i think marvin jones is a better player a little better receiver julio jones draws so much attention and even last year still was just a monster even without credible threats around him you look at the running back situation it's the same as last year with Devonta freeman and tevin coleman leading the way uh, Jacob Tammy leading the way at tight end again. Austin Hooper drafted out of Stanford might be a guy that emerges eventually to take on that starting job. But I'm concerned about this offense as a whole as far as taking a step forward. The only thing that I see is Matt Ryan getting the TD rate back up a little bit. I think 25 to 27 TDs will be the norm for him most years. And last year was kind of an outlier. 
And you look at the running back situation. Tevin Coleman was better on a per carry basis than Devontae Freeman. I look at Freeman with the late first, early second round ADP. I can't pay the freight for him. Yeah, this is a weird team. I'm with you. They, I think they needed to make more additions offensively. I mean, there's there's really no reason that they shouldn't be better or, you know, than, than they have been for the last two, three years. I mean, this is a team that started 6-1 and one last season and lost six in a row uh, to mostly bad teams. One of those losses was to Carolina. Um, but other than that, it, it was just, I, I think Minnesota was in there and, and just kind of some lower-level NFC teams. Um, and when you have the, the quarterback-running-back-receiver combo, that they have and even a very capable tight end and Tammy not many teams especially in the NFC South can say that they have that and I think they've just kind of failed to to take advantage of what should have been a pretty decent window for them maybe not as a Super Bowl contender but this this team and this offense especially you know should be better than a perennial you know six to eight maybe nine win team yeah I, I would agree but for me there's just not a lot here to get excited no, I didn't like about. what they did in the draft necessarily either no I, I like I like Tevin Coleman as a cheap like RB4 type but I'm not really going after Freeman. Maybe in an auction, if the price is right on Freeman, yeah. I'll get him. But in terms of his ADP, if he's anywhere close he's to the snake high. draft, I'm not going to have him. Uh, I just the production was so front loaded too. In the beginning of the season when they were playing well. Now, as they were struggling in the second half, maybe that was a factor. They offense was sputtering. Teams keyed in on the run game and really just kind of try to bracket Julio Jones. Said be this with somebody else, and not having Tony Gonzalez there anymore was probably a big factor. I think for them, getting a, a good tight end would have been nice, but there really weren't a lot of quality options in the draft and via free agency. There wasn't much. Yeah, out I there mean, either. they added Hooper uh, out of Stanford, who had. Stanford tight ends have have done well for themselves in, in the NFL but still I mean not, you're not adding a guy who's going to be a major major game breaker in year one right he's not a Travis Kelsey no. or a Tyler Eifert type uh, athletic maybe down talent road, but not right now but volume I mean volume someday could be there maybe in the red zone mm-hmm. he takes some of the the pressure away and opens yeah. up a few I mean, options. this is a team that lost going back to that streak in the middle of the season they lost they lost to Tampa at home they go and lose at San Francisco and they lose against Indianapolis they lose against Minnesota they lose against Tampa Bay again and then they end that streak with a 38-0 to zero loss to Carolina. Yeah, kind of hit rock bottom yeah. before turning it around against right. the Jags, then beating Carolina at home, then losing at home to the Saints. That's been one it's of the things. Season. Usually the Falcons are pretty good at home. Right. But, oh, and uh, to be fair, they did lose the, the Tampa Bay, San Francisco, Indianapolis games uh, were three consecutive weeks, and they lost those games by a combined seven points. But still, those are not teams you should be losing to. Moving on to the Saints, uh, kind of more of the same in New Orleans, too. Another team that I thought would go make a a big splash in free agency. Fleener was the big ad as far as the skill position players go. Uh, I mean, I I don't know what to expect from him because he disappointed us for a while playing in a familiar offense with Andrew Luck, with his college quarterback in Indianapolis. We saw Ben Watson get heavy usage last year with the departure of Jimmy Graham. So perhaps Fleener ends up being at least as good as Watson and maybe some kind of upgrade receiving core. Lots can be put on Brandon cooks. I mean, the volume and full point PPR leagues might be there, but they've been rumored to be interested in Anquan Bolden. If that happens, I think that takes away a lot of value from a guy like Michael Thomas, who is a rookie might emerge to be kind of useful. Willie Sneed's per target numbers were good. I just don't know if that can really hold up with more volume. This is a team that I thought again, would do a lot more in the off season to, to bolster its chances of being more dynamic right. offensively. No, and I, I talked about Carolina as a team that doesn't need to rush into anything like that, you know, because they have that young core in place. New Orleans is a team that I think if they want to go for it, how many years of Drew Brees do they have left? You know, two, maybe, maybe three. Um, and the fact that they really haven't addressed much of that uh, offensively is concerning. And, and, you know, to be fair, there are only so many game-breaking wide receivers you can go out and grab. But 
Um, you know, I don't know if bringing in Michael Thomas is really going to be enough uh, to re- to replace that production. I love Cooks. Sneed, I'm still a little bit iffy on, um, but I think he's a guy that you know if he ends up being their true number two, you know, the Saints' offense has year in and year out been about as productive through the air as we'll see. One more team to get to, Tampa Bay Bucks. Uh, another team that didn't make a lot of changes, kind of a common theme with the NFC South as a whole. Uh, Vernon Hargraves added via the draft, uh, Robert Aguayo. So they get some other pieces, Noah Spence. So I like, like what they did. They got some value. I mean, Hargraves could have gone as high as you know five or six. Spence certainly could have been a first rounder if he wouldn't have been in trouble. Yeah, good, good talent brought in. Uh, offensively, it looks very similar, though, on paper. Probably going to see a lot of Mike Evans and Jameis Winston again. Doug Martin with health will get the volume. Charles Sims still there is the next in line sort of backup. And with Jameis, I think people maybe look past this a little bit. He's one of three rookie quarterbacks to throw for more than 4,000 yards in a season since the NFL-AFL merger. That, of course, was in 1970. Only six rookie quarterbacks have gone over 3,500 yards during that span. Do you know the other two? The other two uh, for the 4,000 yards, let's see, it wasn't Sam Sam Bradford, Jim Kelly, uh, Cam Newton was one that went over 4,000. Bradford and Kelly were over 3,500. Andrew Luck was the other over 4,000. Interesting. And then uh, Peyton Manning was 3,500 as well. Game's a little different now. Winston is better than Peyton Manning. As a rookie, he was. I mean, the passer rating... 84.2 84.2 last year. Manning was at 71.2. Andrew Luck as a rookie, 76.5. So James is better than both of them. Cam was better than all of them. And people don't seem right. to really care about that well, for some reason. James kind of has the same thing going as Cam did um, as far as just, you know, college controversies kind of following him to the NFL that I think if you're not a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, there's a pretty good chance that you're not a Jameis Winston fan, and that can kind of jade how you view him. Yeah, that's that's fair. But if you yeah, if you just look at him from a statistical standpoint, he's, he was very good last no, for year. Sure. He was great. And with Evans and Jackson and Austin Safarian Jenkins all still back, the weapons should be the same. Dirk Cutter still there as the if Doug Martin's back to being mastermind. a good running back too. That's huge. Well, Martin was good last year, right. so right. If that's if you can actually do that for two straight years. You know, all of a sudden things look a lot better. I think it, it opens things up a lot having a quarterback that can run a little bit as Jameis can. We've seen that in a lot of different offenses. And, you know, much like Doug Martin uh, was was good last year, Mark Ingram, we just talked about the Saints. Mark Ingram on a per game basis was very good. He caught 50 balls, averaged like 4.6 yards per carry. Martin got up to 4.9 yards per carry, only caught 33 passes. So maybe there's a ceiling in that category because of Charles Sims, but over 300 touches and, and very good on a per touch basis. The only question is can doug martin do more in close only seven total touchdowns last year six on the ground if martin can get to 10 that'd be pretty big for his value in 2016 yeah i mean he had the same number of rushing touchdowns as winston did i was just going to ask you does winston get back to six touchdowns he was carrying the ball just over three times per game last year i mean it's not it's not hard to see that as a sustainable number yeah i could see that being easily repeatable going into this season mm-hmm. uh mike uh, mike evans is a guy that mario and i've talked about a lot and mario loves him in the combination of, of size and, and just wingspan and things he brings to the table he's a huge target for winston to me it's fluky that he didn't do more in terms of tds last year but you can see what he did as a, as a rookie 12 12 tds on 68 catches as a rookie to me is more indicative of what he can do uh tds to catches going forward three and 74 catches a year ago we got him projected for nine. I would take the over on nine because I think this offense is going to be at least as good as it, as it was last year, if not better. 
I think so too. And you look at his targets, um, 147 targets last year, only converted 74 of those. I mean, just about just under 50 or just over 50%. Um, I think you have to see that going up. Uh, I don't see the target volume decreasing a ton. Um, you know, they didn't really add anyone, uh, anyone opposite him, but you know, week one, three targets, week two, 17 targets, then back down to eight, back to five, up to 12, nine, 19. I mean, all over the board. I think you'd like to see those become more consistent and along with that, the touchdown numbers will be more consistent as well. I think you'll also see more accuracy from Jameis Winston. I think so. It's a good chance. A lot of rookie quarterbacks take that leap year two, maybe year three, but probably year two where you're going to see 62, 63% of his passes completed instead of the 58.3 he had last year. Uh, so efficiency could go up. The, the completion percentage could go up. And if that happens, that's only a good right. thing for Mike Evans. It just didn't seem like they were on the same page for all of last season. And I expect that to change right. pretty quickly here in 2016. I mean, you never want to chalk anything up to luck, but I mean, just looking, if you just eyeball the numbers 2014 to 2015, there's no reason whatsoever that Mike Evans shouldn't have matched the touchdown number. I mean, three touchdowns is absurdly low for a guy who had six more catches than he had his rookie year, you know, 20 plus more targets, 200 more yards. Um, the average was up, you know, every, basically every, every possible statistic that would point to more touchdowns is up. I mean, he, he converted 17 more first downs, I mean, I don't, maybe we have to go back and check like how many times was he downed inside the five or something like that. You know, I think three touchdowns would be an absolute crazy baseline for him this year. Yeah, I wouldn't look at that as a way, a reason to stay away from Evans as your first receiver. I mean, he, to me, he's an easy top yes. 10 receiver with the potential to be top three. Well, I think he's going play. You can pair him with another top tier receiver you could go receiver receiver yeah. evans is one Which of the is, two I think you is get the way to go yeah it's going to be a very very popular strategy i think this year there's given- so many receivers and you know we talk about yeah i talked about this with james anderson recently and kind of comparing it to the point guard situation in the nba right now or maybe even two years ago is it seemed like there were 20 you know really competent point guards that any team would like to have like i think we're in some somewhat of a golden age of very competent receivers in the nfl and it seems like you know 20 out of 32 teams maybe even more have you know, a guy who's borderline top tier. I think part of it is the evolution of the position from a physical standpoint. You get mm-hmm. bigger, faster players. I think it's also the rules are sure. heavily favoring receivers. Defenders yep. can't cut, can't clutch and grab as much as they were able right. to in the past. So that really opens things up for some of those more physical top wideouts. It's going to wrap things up for our AFC and NFC South offseason review. You can check out Rotowire for free for the next 10 days by going to rotowire.com slash pod jake and eric are back with you tomorrow